All right, good morning. I sure appreciate you being here today. First of all, before we start, I, I just want to say thank you for last week. Mark didn't give me a chance to say anything last week, so I want to say thanks. Uh, some people asked me if I got that bow out and hunted a little bit yet, and I said, no, I haven't yet, but I slept with it all week. So. Oh. <laughs> it, was the, it was the last thing I saw every time I closed my eyes. And I just, I went and got sighted in and everything, and i uh, just amazed. It shoots uh, 350 feet per second. Um, it, my bow range is usually around 30, 35 yards, and that's taking it out to 80. We can clap there. That's <laughs> so excited about that. It's, a, it's a way beyond my own expectations and dreams. So thank you very much and all the appreciation. Uh, and I do want to say this. Uh, she's not here right now, but I, yeah, there she is. Give her a hand because... <laughs> she doesn't even know why she's getting clapped for, but everybody knows that I don't do this alone. And she's gifted where I'm not, and she's organizationally gifted out of the... She's just got buku gifts on that kind of thing. And, and I don't. And I always wondered how I was going to do this. God, you, you sure? And then he gave me her. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, we can do this. So I'm very thankful for all that she does. And we do this together. So thank you for honoring her as well. Uh, feel so blessed to be uh, part of leadership in, in this church. And uh, this what we're trying to do here. Uh, and we've turned a lot of corners in the last five years. And and to see where, what we're able to do now, and uh, it's because of you. So thank you for being a part of it and trusting us as we took some risk and we made some changes and, and did the things that we've been doing. And so we'll continue to, to do that. And I hope you'll get on this train for a, a long time. And, and if, if not, then I hope you enjoy your stay while you're here. So, and for those of you that have been out of fellowship for a while, I, I just want to welcome you this morning. If, if those of you, this is like your first time, it's like, I don't even know what's going on. I've uh, never really been in a church environment. Uh, well, I hope you enjoy it because that's what we're about. We just want to see you be in an environment that's healthy and helpful uh, so that you'll grow spiritually no matter how long you're here. So uh, if it's one week, one year, ten years, a lifetime. I've got some friends here that are lifetime friends, and you just can't say enough appreciation for them. Uh, so, above all, I want to thank God, right? Because none of us be here without Him. Thank God for what He's doing in our lives. I want to talk to you today about uh, an extremely important topic that. Um, I'll just tell you what it is. It's about fear. Um, and how to deal with fear. Sometimes we don't know how to... We get paralyzed by fear. And we're going to be talking about fear today. Uh, in 1975, Roger Hart conducted a study in Vermont where children uh, who were... They felt safe in exploring their environment and during their playtime. And, 
He focused on 86 children between the ages of 3 and 12 in a small town in Vermont. And Hart would follow these kids all the way through their playtime and, and chart it out and map it out uh, and what they were doing. And he took that information and he made physical maps of it. He charted it all out and measured the distance that each child explored their environment. Outside, in the home, in the neighborhoods, wherever they went. And he discovered that these kids had remarkable freedom. 1975. Anybody that old? <laughs> yeah. So some of us, when we grew up in that decade or the decade before or, or even earlier, it's not like today. I mean, I barely remember wearing a seatbelt back in those days. Not good, you know. This, things have changed a lot. But he discovered that they, these kids had remarkable freedom. Even the four and five-year-olds traveled unsupervised through their neighborhood. And by the time they were 10, most of the kids had the run of the entire town. And the kids' parents weren't worried. Sounds like my mom and dad. I mean, I think about what I was doing. They had no clue. But I was the youngest of four, and they were wore out by, by my time. You know? And I've had that same experience, too. By the time Tori came along and Drew, it's like, oh, what, do whatever you want. Not, not, just kidding. Just kidding. But uh, then several years ago, this is so interesting, about 2014, the guy went back to the same town to document, document the children of the children that he had studied in 1975. And what he found out in this study from tracking those kids in the 70s and comparing those of 2014, the kids of the kids, it just floored it. And he went and he did the same thing. He tracked how far they went and he mapped it out. And the area that the new generation were going, these children, was tiny compared to the area that the kids from the 70s would explore. It was like he said in his words, there was an invisible, invisible leash on the next generation. And he wondered, why has it tightened down so much? And you think, well, maybe crime increased. There was no statistics that crime had increased in that little town in Vermont. So that was not a factor. And he came up with this conclusion from his new study comparing both generations. Fear of the world outside our doors narrows the circles of our lives. Let's say it one more time. Fear of the world outside of our door narrows the circle of our lives. Jeremiah the prophet from the Old Testament said these words, and I'm going to read from chapter 1 and verse 5 and also verse 29. You might be familiar if you read the Bible a little bit. You may not be familiar with the Bible. This is in the Old Testament. Uh, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. 
In the Old Testament, there's a lot of things in the Old Testament that are still applicable today. A lot of promises that can really bless your life if you'll read them and, and internalize them. And this is one of them. You might be familiar with this, but if you're not, I'll read it for you in chapter 1, verse 5. It says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Isn't that exciting? God knows you in the womb. We've got a grandchild in the womb right now. Actually, we've got two of them in utero right now. Life is good, isn't it? I mean, I never thought about being a grandpa. I'm not, I'm papa. But, but you know, i got all these kids, and it's like, I never even thought about the next generation. And it's like, and then they come, and little grandma run up to me and go, Papa, you know, and life doesn't get much better than that, you know? But anyway, says I, and he knows them in the womb right now. He knows them. He planned them. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And now think, think about you and the plan that God has for you. Personalize it for your own life. This is what God's saying to you through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, for I know the plans I have for you. Right? God knows the plans He has for you. You say, well, I don't know what they are, but He does, and that's, that's cool. That's, he'll get them over to you. So some of us can just relax, just knowing that He's got a good plan. He says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Tell somebody, i got hope in a future. So, when we want to do something significant and kind of walk in these verses, we would like to know God, have Him know us, and Him reveal that plan and walk in those steps that He's got ordered for us. And we want to do something significant and great with our lives. Hopefully, there's something that gets in the way, and it's called fear. It's called fear. Every opportunity to move forward in your life will be accompanied by fear. Every relationship, possibility, a new friend, new spouse, new relationship, a new working relationship will be accompanied with fear. Every new job, an opportunity in the workplace, will be accompanied with a certain amount of fear. Every thought of serving other people in ministry will be accompanied with fear. If you want to go somewhere in life or pursue a new direction, there will be fear that will try to hinder you, try to keep you from making progress, getting in your way. It's weighing you down. Most of the fears that we face every day are not based on fact. They are generated by our interpretation of facts. Did you catch that? Our interpretation of the facts brings fear. Or it can bring faith. Depending on how we interpret them. And how we interpret them Listen closely. That 
produces feelings. And when your thoughts and your interpretation of the facts bring fear or faith, it brings feeling. And feeling is huge. We don't want to just roll over our feelings because feelings are extremely important in our faith walk. You can get over a lot of negative thinking, but until we change our feelings, we don't make progress like we want to. And feelings are closely associated with our fear. So here's an example of a study conducted at the University of Michigan showing the following. 60% of our fears, and I know I've brought these out before, but they really bear repetition. They're so important to understand this and get a hold of this. 60% of our fears are totally unwarranted. They never come to pass. 20% of our fears are focused on the past, which is completely out of our control, right? And then 10% of our fears are based on things so petty that they make no difference in our lives. And of the remaining 10%, only 4 to 5% could be considered justifiable fear. Growing up, I was a little jumpy. I attribute a lot of that to my older brother. <laughs> That's my theory, at least. But Dad always had a calming effect on me. And I remember one time, well, actually many times, when we lived a, few, a couple summers out west, uh, trying to follow Dad to fishing holes when I was 10 and 11. And he wouldn't hardly wait for me. He would just plow through, go over fences, and, and I'd get stuck in, you know, with the fence where it's not supposed to be, barbed wire, trying to get over. Wait, Dad, you know, that kind of thing. And there was just something about him, though. He was hardly, I never saw him afraid of anything. And there are, out west, there are giant, it's not like cattle around here. Those cows are big. And they've got pointy horns that look like they could just, what's that word, skewer you? Is that, is that right? Yeah, I got a new word out today. They can just like run you through. And I was always concerned, like we would go through a field and they would hurdle up and point their points outward. <laughs> I was like, Dad, what are they doing? Oh, they're just protecting the, the young ones. Oh, are they going to charge us? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm over here on this side of Dad. And he would go through wilderness. He would go through brush and just plow right through it. Now, there's rattlesnakes in Idaho. Lots of them. And I asked him one day, I said, Dad, don't, don't you ever get concerned about the snakes? He, he just kind of does this with his shoulders. Yeah, well, one time I was out working in the field and I felt this thump, thump. And I was busy charting down the, the soil samples. He's a geologist. And I didn't recognize that. I looked down and there's this rattler snake. Shing, shing. Show that picture. That's, that's exactly what was going on. And I said, what, what, what did you do, Dad? And he said, I just left him... Let him have that part of the path. <laughs> I was like, oh. But he, he moved, but he was never scared. He was never afraid. And that just did something for me. 
I went through a lot of, he'd take me everywhere I wanted to go, and I always wanted to go with him. And so I just started building up these experiences to where I saw how he handled things, and he never got afraid. He very seldom showed any fear. I can't even remember any time that he showed any fear. Now, there's times that you need a little bit of fear to protect you, but he just never had that, that concern. And mom would tell you, he just, he's not scared of anything. And that does something for you when you are raised that way. You start to take risks that maybe other people wouldn't take because of the fact that you're not scared as much as other people. And so what I'm trying to say and share today is that look at your life and be honest with you yourself. Are there some fears there that need to go today? Need to leave? Maybe they shouldn't be plaguing you anymore. What I saw in Dad was more than idolism. I, I, I didn't. I did idolize Dad a little bit, but that's not what I got from him. What I saw in Dad was more, even more than an attitude. It was a condition of his heart. It was, it was almost spiritual. It, 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 you know, I wouldn't... Dad would never claim to be a spiritual man. But he would say that it was just the way that he operated. He just wasn't scared. His mom was the first one to ever get a college education. Dad was the first PhD in, in his whole line ever. And he just didn't... And he was, he was, he was a... In his words, he was a, an excellent D student in high school. <laughs> I'm serious. And then he started dating my mom in Michigan. And, and mom said he wanted to get married. And mom said, I'm not getting married until I get through college. He said, well, I guess I'll go to college then. And so he went to college, got his degree. And then he just kept on going and never saw the end of it. And he's still learning today in his 80s. He's 87 and he still does rock talks all over the place. He just doesn't know fear. He, if you tell him not to do something, he'll bow. He's going to prove you wrong that he can do it. I, I, I'm telling stories today. Can I tell you one more about him? Oh, I better not. It'll take up too much time. But here's this passage in Timothy, 2 Timothy, that Paul writes to Timothy uh, would you do me a favor or, or do yourself a favor and memorize this one? Get to it today. Get to it all, all week long. This is, this is so powerful. God has not given us a spirit of fear. When you have an unnatural fear, that's not from God. God doesn't do that kind of thing. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So when we have fears that build up in us or are contagious from our upbringing, those fears are unnatural and they're not to be a part of our lives. And what God wants us to understand today is that He doesn't do that kind of thing. He gives us a spirit of faith. And the spirit of faith, if you'll learn to use it, will overcome fear every day. Every day. 
And it's so exciting to see what God can do with that. But what I saw in Dad was a spirit of faith, even though, again, he wouldn't claim that. But he just had, he, he never had a controlling attitude of fear. He didn't ever let fear control his patterns of thinking, his patterns of thoughts. At least in things that... You know what happens when, when you have controlling patterns of thoughts that bring fear? It will paralyze you. You won't be able to take those steps that will bring progress into your life. You won't be able to progress spiritually because of these fears. Fear of other people controlling you. Fearing, fearing uh, calamity. Fearing financial bankruptcy or, or failure or business failure. Those are unnatural fears. And God has nothing to do with those things. He gives the spirit of faith. One of the most majestic of all creatures, of course, is a tiger. And for many years, this beautiful creature just... People didn't really understand uh, how it worked and, and how it was so successful in hunting. But they've done a lot of study on it. And it seems that the tigers, when they hunt, they have this remarkable capacity for causing their, prayer, their, their prey to, to, uh, to just paralyze in their tracks. They'll just stop instead of running away. And they, it's like, why do they do that? I mean, a deer or, or a gazelle, or whatever, be right there, could easily outrun a tiger, but they don't. They become tiger meat. And they're like, why is this happening? And they started doing some study on, on the actual science behind the assault of the tiger. And they found that when they roar, and the, and the tiger will roar when it's attacking, lions don't always do that, but but the tiger will. When it roars, there's this sound that fills the ears, which is terrifying in and of itself. But there's another vocalization in the tiger's roar that is, uh, oh, I worked on this word, it's bio-audio or something like that. And what this is, you can't hear it, but you can feel it. It's so low you can't hear it, but it vibrates into the prey. And so what it does, it not only terrifies by what you can hear, but it's shaking you. And that's why it stuns the prey. And then they become tiger meat. Wildlife is rough, isn't it? <laughs> Fear. And what does Scripture say? The devil rolls, rolls around here like a roaring lion. Shake. You know, if there's one tool that I've noticed about evil is intimidation. He will bring intimidating thoughts to your mind and try to help you interpret the facts full of fear. The Holy Spirit comes. And, and almost every time both of these are happening at the exact same time, the, the dynamic is, 
is every single time there's what God is doing and there's what the enemy is doing. What evil is trying to do. And both bring thoughts so that you can interpret either by faith or by fear. So when the lion roars, when the tiger roars, when evil roars at you through a negative report, like your business is going under, terminal disease, so intimidating, divorce, I'm leaving you, so intimidating. And there's some subconscious, you can't hear it, even hear it, but there's subconscious thoughts that are, are, are hammering you on the inside. And what are you going to do about those? God has an answer for every one of them. No matter how loud the tiger roars, there's a line from the tribe of Judah that has something to say to you. It says, I got a plan for you. And it's good. And it's not going to bring harm to you. You listen to me. You listen to me. And I'll, I'll get you through this. You listening to me? Which roar are you going to listen to? We're going to see this principle of intimidation and then I'll, I'll wrap it up. I want to show it to you in this passage in Judges chapter 6. It's a real quick background. Judges, you remember Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land. They take over and conquer almost all of it. They left some of the people. Shouldn't have left all of those because God said wipe them all out. Remove all of them. And they didn't. And they left them and they became problems. One of those problems was the Midianites. And the Midianites began to get stronger and stronger and more and more powerful to the point that this conquering people, the children of Israel, became intimidated by the Midianites to the point that they were digging holes in caves and living in caves. When the Midianites came and attacked, they would take their crops, steal their animals, wipe them out, go back into the hills and laugh over the children of Israel, how pathetic and weak they were. And this went on for generations to the point where they were building up a consciousness of fear. Have you ever noticed that? That you can build a consciousness of fear. Or you can build a consciousness of faith. You can produce that in your children. You can put faith in your children or you can put fear in your children. Dad put faith in He didn't even know what he was doing. But by just shaking his boot, shaking the snake off, I'm never scared of snakes. I respect them. I don't go looking for them. But I'm not scared of them. Well, where'd that came from? Where'd that come from? It came from that. What are you putting in your kids? Don't run out on that street, you'll get killed. A lot of faith in that. No, don't help them understand, respect the power of a vehicle. Don't be afraid. Or you'll get going through life and all you're doing is building a consciousness of, 
of fear. And man, that's no way to live. Have a consciousness of faith. That God is with me. God is helping me. He's got a plan for every single day of my life. I'm going to listen to it. And I'm going to obey it. And I'll just enjoy the ride. That's what God wants us to do. But these Midianites got so powerful and oppressive. And in Israel built this consciousness of fear in them. They were digging holes in caves, living in the caves, in little tiny shelters. The Midianites would pull away into the hills and let them come out of their caves for a little while, grow some crops, raise some cattle and some sheep and goats, and then they would come out of the hills every year and wipe them out again. And that was going on and on. There was no leadership there. there was, nobody was doing anything about it. The things that you fear will eat your lunch if you don't do anything about it. Somewhere along the line, you're going to have to stand up against evil. You're going to have to stand up and say, no, this won't go on any longer. This addiction will not go, along, go, go on anymore in my life. I'm going to stand up against it. Listen, guys, I've been there. I know what that takes to break an addiction. You can do it with the grace of God. Somebody said, yeah, that's right. It's important. I'm I'm not naive. I know we come from all different backgrounds. Some of us have fears in different areas. Some of us have different addictions. And we're all here to worship God, right? We're just bringing it here. We're bringing it here. We're bringing it all. This this is really real today. I hope that's okay. Because we have to address some of these issues. Whether it be sexual addictions, whether it be substance abuse, all that kind of thing. You're welcome here to worship God, but let's, let's stand up against these things. Let's stand up against these in the grace of God and watch the, the power of addiction break in our lives. We live in an addictive culture. Right? I mean, you look at three television ads, you get online, you're going to see it everywhere. How do you live righteously in a corrupt culture with the grace of God? By standing up against the Midianites in your life. And saying this will not go on anymore. And believe me, it, it, can, it can happen. You can do it by the grace of God. His strength is enough. So no one was doing anything. No one was taking any leadership. And here's what often happens. Fear is often our default reaction to assault. Fear is often our default reaction to assault. You can't stop the fear from coming. You can't stop the fear from being there, being present. But it doesn't have to stay that way. Fear will keep you, just like it did with the children of Israel, it will keep you cowering in caves. It will keep you hiding from life. Fear will suppress your confidence and courage to lead. Even if it's just leading yourself out of that situation. Leading yourself out of that what's captive, captivating to you. And fear will force you to miss the opportunities because your thinking is weakened. And John recorded what Jesus explained about the contrast between God and the enemy of God. And he said, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. 
He's contrasting what the thief does compared to what God does. He says, here's what the thief does. He said, why is he explaining this? Because we don't know. They didn't know. All this terrible thing, all these terrible things were happening to them. They didn't know if it was from God or if it was from, from some other source. So Jesus came and made it real clear. The thief, the enemy of God, has come to steal, kill, and destroy you. And he says this, but I've come to give you life and life abundantly. So understand, Jesus is explaining to them, understand what the enemy of faith does, what the enemy of God is doing in your life, trying to, and what God is trying to do. So here's the truth. God gives increase in your life. God gives increase in your life. He blesses. Jesus came to give abundant life. And here's the truth. At, simultaneously, at the same time, wouldn't you just love it if you had a week where none of the bad stuff happened? And you just had a week full of good things, but it's never that way. I had a hard week last week, and I got a bow. <laughs> I just want to go to bed with my bow. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but the truth is that it happens simultaneously. It always does. God is trying to give increase to our lives. He's trying to multiply things. And here's what the enemy of God does. Satan comes to reduce you. Satan comes to reduce you. Reduce your faith. Reduce your possessions. Reduce everything about you. Your influence. Alright, let's jump in. We'll go quickly now. Judges chapter 6, verse 6. So Israel was reduced. Everybody say reduced. To abject poverty because of the Midianites. Was God doing that? No, obviously not. We know now that it wasn't God doing that. So Israel was reduced to abject poverty because of the Midianites. Then, at last, the people of Israel began to cry out to the Lord for help. Well, it was the last thing they did, but thank God they did. They took them a while to get there, but they got there. And they began to cry out to the Lord for help. Guys, if you're going through some things that you're scared of, and we all go through that, I want you to understand that He can do just exactly what they did and cry out to the Lord for help. And He's there to help you. Or you can just live on your own and be bound by fear. It's your choice. But if you want God's help, He's ready to help. Isn't that wonderful? Man, that's good news. So He says that Israel was reduced, but then they cry out to the Lord. Sometimes the last solution is the best solution. So there's a lot of people living in fear today. But God never planned for people to live like this. You know that 365 times there's some variation in all the way from Genesis to Revelation, all through the Scriptures, there's some variation of says don't be afraid. One for every day. So if you're afraid of something, if you're afraid of something happening, even though it's not happened yet, you can say those same words. Just don't be afraid. Because God's with me. One for every day. And allow it to control your life. Faith. Now, let me 
before we go into the next verse, I just want to specify that to say that you're not afraid doesn't mean the complete absence of fear. Fear will always be present, but you can do something with it. How can I overcome fear in my life? First of all, recognize it. Recognize your fear. Many don't even realize that they're speaking out of fear. I don't realize that when I'm doing that. And then Di will point it out to me. You know, that's not real positive. That, oh yeah, you're right. You're right. It takes a self-awareness, doesn't it? How can I tell if fear is controlling my decisions or actions? Recognize that fear causes you to hide and withdraw. Look at the Israelites. They didn't even recognize, I, hey, we're living in a cave. How did we get here? You know? They probably they just didn't realize what was going on. It had been going on for so long. It was their new normal. Until somebody did something and stood up. Remember Adam in the garden. What was the first thing that he did after the situation with the apple and the temptation? He hid. He hid. You kind of have to ask, I have to ask myself, what am I hiding from? Is there something I'm hiding from? You can hide socially, you can hide financially, you can hide in so many different ways. You can hide spiritually. Some people don't like faith environments because there's a certain amount of exposure. I know that was the case with me. I didn't know the Bible at all. I didn't know how to live among Christian people. Those people seem so good compared to me. I'm just telling you where we've come from. And if you're there, I want you to understand... Man, we're just like you. Right? As Christians, we're just like you. We just have lived a few months or years knowing God a little bit and we found out He loves us and we're just pretty excited about that. So we hope that you're feeling welcome. Right? just want you to know that you're welcome here. Just be yourself. And don't get all, all over us if we act a little strange at times. You know, when our hands go up, worship, it's just because we love God and we just don't know what else to do with our hands. It's kind of an act of surrender, God. You know, that, you know, we assume everybody knows that. We don't. We don't know that. But if you start hiding, there's some fear what about you? What are you hiding from? Is there something that you go to to hide from something else? What are you afraid about? What are you afraid of asking God for? What are you afraid that He will ask you to do? That was a big one for me. Uh, full surrender? <laughs> mm. What are you going to tell me to do, God? Because of fear. But then there comes a day, oh man, God, you just shown me over and over. Sorry it took you so long. Sorry it took me so long. Thank you for your patience, but I, I see now that you love me, you care for me, you got a good plan. 
full surrender right here in my heart. You tell me to go somewhere else, I'll go somewhere else. You tell me to go to another country, I'll go to another country. Uh, I'm an American. And I'm proud of it and I love it. I love it here. When I come back from overseas, I love America. But if he tells me to go somewhere else, I got to go. I want you to have that full surrender because there's peace for you there. Man, I'm rambling today. So recognize what paralyzes you. Can I share one other area of fear that, thank God I got free of this one. It, it was a tough one for me. But it's the area of bridges. Um, sounds weird to people, but and this probably has to do with my brother again. Back in the day when you had station wagons, anybody remember station wagons? Well, I had the... We had two, we had the row of seats, then the row behind it, and then Dave in the back. <laughs> no air conditioning, and it got hot back there, and we were traveling all, all over the country. And I can remember John, my brother, he's seven years older than me, he's a little bit perverted. Um, <laughs> I would tell him that if he was here. But he would say, hey, we're going over a bridge, Davey, and we're... You know, people have died on this bridge before. <laughs> so we just started building a, an attitude, a pattern of thinking. Man, we laugh. I laugh at it now too, but it was hard one for me. Every time I went over a bridge and died, it's my witness. I, and we'd be in conversation, we hit a bridge and I'd tense up, start sweating, and, and she goes, You are weird. <laughs> And we get over there, get over, I hold my breath and get over the, on the other side. That bridge at Washington, Missouri, they need to take that thing down and build a bigger one. What is the deal? Over the Missouri River there? Well, anyhow, that went on for years. And about 10 years ago, I guess, I don't know if it's been that long, but we were on this trip uh, uh, out east. We went to the east coast via Niagara Falls. <laughs> I, I get crazy on our trips. I, I, well, I want to show the kids Niagara Falls. and We'd lived out east before a couple summers, and it's beautiful. So we went way up north, and then we came back down through New York, New York State and came down through Pennsylvania, went to Independence Hall and saw the Liberty Bell and just had a great time. And then we took a wrong turn out of Philadelphia. We were going to Virginia Beach, and... We took a wrong turn and went up to New Jersey and we had to go over that thing. <laughs> the Delaware Memorial Bridge. And I, you, that thing is the ninth largest uh, span, uh, whatever, suspension bridge in the world. And I had never had seen a bridge like that before in my life. And we hit that and I did the normal thing. <gasps> Hold my breath. You can't hold your breath that long. <laughs> About up that, where it starts to go up, I got up there and I was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. And I'm complaining all the way. got to the other side and she said, die my navigator. He said, we took the wrong turn. Oh, we got to come all the way back. <laughs> and we rode on that side. Look at the next picture. Look at this next picture. That is 
big bridge. And I'm in the middle. You know, there's lanes on both sides. I'm in the middle. Look at this. No, I'm not looking at this. <laughs> and then we got out of that, came back, started heading south in the right direction, and then we come to this thing. Next. And this is the bridge that you go from wherever that was, North New Jersey, I guess, and then down into Virginia. My map's all messed up here. Um, at Hampton Roads. And you get on that, and the bridge over the sea is not that high. It's about 200 feet. But then you go under the sea. It's like, what do these engineers do? Why do they create this stuff? And so you go under the sea. So the next picture is, is going under the sea. I actually felt safe under there. I don't know why. Uh, other people would have fear of claustrophobia and not do well there. But I you know. Well, obviously a fear. And finally, I don't know what happened. I know it was God. I believe it was God that started to speak to me. So, you know, I can set you free of that fear. And I remember I was just by myself and I was, I was actually going over that bridge in Washington and going up to a meeting in, in Warrington. And I got to that bridge and I said, God, I am so tired of this fear. Can you break this for me? He said, absolutely. He said, I'll not only break it for you, but I'm going to get it, I'm going to make it, I'm going to get you to the point where you not only enjoy, you find a thrill going over bridges, but you'll go looking for bridges to cross. I'd be okay if you just break the fear. <laughs> He did break it, and I go looking for bridges now. And it's just because I asked for help, and he was there willing to help me. And this sounds like a silly thing, but it's so nice. I don't care what fear is ahead. What, what about the fear of death? You can be literally bound by the fear of dying. Of course, that fear is going to be there. It's going to be present, but it doesn't have to control your thinking. And there's a lot of fear that goes with death, fear of sickness and disease, and fear of all these kinds, fear of cancer. If I say the word cancer, does it cause you fear, or does it, or does faith rise in your heart? The Lord is my healer, my helper. He never leaves me or never forsakes me. That brings faith. Well, I butchered this message, but I hope I got across a little bit about fear and faith and how faith can overcome fear through courage. So let's stand.